All right, folks, welcome to Nino's Corner.tv. I think this is going to make fluff tube. I'm honored to be joined by Dr. Ben Carson. Dr. Ben Carson was born September 18th. Really? That's my birthday. <laughs> That's my birthday. Wow. September 18th is an American retired neurosurgeon and politician who served as the 17th United States Secretary of Housing and Urban Development from 2017 to 2021 under the greatest presidency, my opinion. A uh, pioneer in the field of neurosurgery, he was a candidate for president of the United States in 2016. And I got to tell you, Ben, uh, it was between you and Trump for me. Um, gosh, what I'd give to see you both on the same ticket. Just saying. Um, so your book, Created Equal, um, The Painful Past, Confusing Present and Hopeful Future of Race in America by Dr. Ben Carson. Um, I got some questions here for you, Dr. Ben Carson, and uh, th this looks really good. I, I have the, uh, I'll put the picture of the book itself. Um, in your book, Created Equal, you talk about the magnificent human brain. You share about how we process information, how a brain cannot be overloaded as we are always expanding and challenging the capacity of our brain, growing and understanding. Maybe we could start with you telling us about the brain and what your experience is, your experience as a brain surgeon has taught you about people as a whole. Well, you know, the human brain is the most fantastic organ system in the universe. It has billions and billions of neurons, hundreds of billions of interconnections, remembers everything you've ever seen, everything you've ever heard, can process more than two million bits of information in one second. It is just an amazing thing. And uh, if you take a human brain, you put it next to an animal brain, let's say a, a dog. Uh, and offense to dogs or dog owners, by the way. Uh, but uh, the surface topography is quite similar. Frontal lobes, parietal lobes, temporal lobes, occipital lobes, cerebellum, brainstem, midbrain. But the dog's midbrain is much better developed. And what is the midbrain used for? Reacting. And that's why animals react so much faster than people do. But people have these extremely well-developed frontal lobes. What do you do with those? Rational thought processing. We have the ability to extract information from the past, integrate it with information from the present, project it into the future, a year ahead, five years, 10 years, 20 years. We can plan, we can strategize, we can analyze. And that's why Dr. Martin Luther King said he longed for the day when people would be judged not on the base of the color of their skin, a midbrain function, but the content of their character, a frontal lobe function. Interesting, because, yeah, it has nothing to do with skin color. What about people that play contact sports like myself? Like, I think, you know, I need to get checked out, I believe, because, and I boxed for 30 years, and is, is CTE something that gradually comes, or is it something that I, that, that happens like that, or is it something that's gradual? Because I see it on both. I see yeah. people that, you know, their motor skills are just, they go into one sparring session with a fighter and they come out and they're, they're messed up. And then I see guys that seem normal and then they gradually just progress into this stupor. It, no, it's gradual. And, you know, I know you see it uh, in boxing a lot, a, a very large number of people who engage in professional boxing, but a large number don't get it too. And you probably won't get it because you didn't get hit that much. You didn't. Well, really. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I took some hellacious shots, but, uh, but I will say that I feel like I'm, I'm doing well now. And I just hope that I can continue this way of, 
do you believe in like a, like herbs or or holistic medicine for that? Or are you more? Well, I, I I believe that God made our bodies in such a way that they would heal if you treated them the right way. That means eating well balanced meals with plenty of fresh fruits and vegetables, drinking at least six to eight glasses of water a day, regular exercise, regular rest and sleep. Don't put harmful substances into your body and it will heal itself. I, I've noticed a big difference after I quit alcohol. I'm two and a half years sober now and uh, I was a bit of a drinker, but now I'm, a, <laughs> now I'm like, hey, you know, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm thinking a little more clearly. So, you know, you know. your body will appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> also, I've done enough abuse to this body. I treated it like an amusement park, not a temple. All right. Next question, Doc. Talk to me about the beauty of the Americans, diver- about America's diversity. How do you think that makes our nation stronger on a whole? How do you think it sharpens us as individuals? Well, we have so many people uh, from so many different backgrounds, from so many different places who have different ways of looking at things, different cultural approaches to things. And uh, that, I think, gives us a tremendous advantage when it comes to solving problems. And there are those who want to make that into a problem. It's not a problem. You can take virtually any ethnic group in our country and walk down the street and point out all kinds of tremendous inventions that came from them. Let's just take African-Americans, for example. You have so many of the young African-American boys who end up in jail or in a penal system. Uh, But, you know, when they take American history, they don't see anybody who looks like them who did anything. (laughs) Same thing when they take world history. But you take a walk down the street and you can start out by pointing to the shoes and you can say it was Jan Motzlegger. A black man who invented the automatic shoe lasting machine revolutionized the shoe industry throughout the world. He invented what? The, the a shoe lasting machine. Oh wow! And uh, and then you could step on that clean street. Charles Brooks invented the automatic street sweeper. Those machines with the big brushes. And down that street comes a big refrigerated tractor trailer truck. It was uh, Frederick Jones, a black man who invented refrigeration system for for trucks. Later adopted for airplanes, trains boats it comes it comes to a stop at the red light you tell them it was garrett morgan who invented the stop signal also invented the gas mask saved lots of lives during the war talk about the war henrietta bradbury a black woman invented the underwater cannonade launched torpedoes from submarines um and then a black woman walks down the street a black man did not invent her but you can use that opportunity to talk about madam cj walker a black woman who invented cosmetic products for women of wow. dark complexion, was the first woman of any nationality in this country to become a millionaire on her own efforts. Walked past the hospital. Uh, Charles drew contributions to blood banking and blood plasma understanding. Daniel Hale Williams, the first successful open heart surgery in the world. Uh, you look up at the surgical light, Thomas Edison. He wasn't black, but his right-hand man, Louis Latimer, was who invented this filament that made it possible for the light bulb to work more than two or three days. Wow. Invented the electric lamp diagram, the telephone for Alexander Graham Bell. Most people never heard of him. Walked past the railroad tracks, Andrew Beard, the automatic railroad car coupler spurred on the industrial revolution. Elijah McCoy, the automatic lubrication system for locomotive engines. He had so many inventions. People were always trying to imitate him. And people would say, is that a McCoy? Is that 
the real McCoy. Yeah. Even racist yeah, racist yeah. people like David Duke talked about the real McCoy. Don't even know who they're paying homage to. No. And, I, you know, but I even course, use that and I don't even know where it comes from. Yeah, the real McCoy. Yeah, absolutely. And I could take that same walk down the street for virtually any ethnic group and point out tremendous contribution. Our diversity is not a problem, it's a blessing. It's like the Chinese with math. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I'm just stating the obvious here. Uh, Dr. Carson, in your early years, you lived in Detroit, in Detroit, an almost entirely black community, black schools, black churches, black neighborhood. When you moved to Boston and to a school that was mostly white, what was the experience like for you? That, I can kind of relate with that because. I was like the big, tall, white-looking kid in the Mexican yeah. ghettos. You know what I mean? Like I was hanging exactly. out with Mexican gangs since I was a kid. <laughs> well, you know, people, it's, it's interesting the difference between the kids and the adults. You know, uh, the kids, you know, I was just another kid. It didn't matter that I was Black. or. Um, but for the teachers, you know, they have very low expectations for the Black kids. And, uh, you know, my mother made me start reading books. And over the course of uh, a year and a half, I went from the bottom of the class to the top of the class. No problem with the kids. Ben Carson, you know, he made this big revolution in the way that he thinks. And I can ask him how to solve these problems. But some of the teachers, they were really upset. You know, this black kid, top of the class, with all these white kids, they didn't like it at all. But, you know, that that was a long time ago. And, you know, you have to recognize that we've had tremendous changes in this country just in my lifetime. When I was a kid and uh, a black person would come on television who was not in a servile role, it was a big deal. You called everybody in the living room, hey, come and look at this. It was great. Like Muhammad um, Ali or Martin Luther King. I mean, these are great icons, man. Right. But now, uh, just in the same lifetime, you have black admirals and generals and CEOs of Fortune 500 companies and heads of foundations and university presidents, including Ivy League. We've elected a U.S. president twice. We were black uh, vice president. I mean, the list goes on and on. We have changed enormously. And some people just aren't willing to admit that. Well, we it's a mainstream provided- media that keeps pushing that. Like he's pushing the division, you know, and, and I think prejudice is, is learned because when I was growing up, uh, we I had a bunch of black friends that were more white than me. <laughs> and they were. And then when we got in high school and Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg came out, they started going into that stuff. You know what I mean? But they still when they came out, hey, Dave, how's it going? You know what I mean? Like, they were white as me. Why does anybody <laughs> I remember met? <laughs> well, you know, the, the, the left has used the race issue as a cudgel to beat people into submission, to make white people feel guilty, to make minorities feel like victims. And, you know, if you feel guilty, what happens? You stand on the sideline with your head down and hope nobody calls you a nasty name. And if you think you're a victim, you are a victim. It's as simple as that. I, I completely agree with you, Doc. I mean, I, I can't see in the way. Like my, I, my friends that I grew up with, when you're, prejudice is definitely learned. It's not something you, you have when you're a kid. Because as a kid, we all looked at each other the same. And if you see kids today, 
playing together black and white. They don't have any prejudice. They're just playing. They're having a good time. They don't see color. It's something that's learned throughout time. Right. And I, I play in the mainstream media. It is definitely taught. And, you know, there are those in our society who want to fundamentally change this nation into something else. And they can't do that unless they can get people to believe that it's an evil place and that it needs to be changed. And if, if we were so bad, why would people be forming caravans trying to get in here? And when they got here, wouldn't they call all their relatives and friends and say, don't come here, this is a horrible place. No, right, that's not right. what's going on. And a lot of people on the left, they say, don't believe your eyes, don't believe your ears, don't believe your heart, just listen to us, we'll tell you what to think. Right. And, you know, I grew up here in uh, in El Paso, Texas, border Ciudad Juarez. And uh, I grew up on both sides of the border. And, you know, people are scared of this invasion. Yeah, there's a lot of bad people that are coming through. I'm not going to lie about that. The, you know, the, it's it's ridiculous what's happening at the border right now. But I'm like, we <laughs> I've been here the whole time and uh, I yeah. don't see any difference between anybody, to be honest with you. I just see poverty and rich. That's what it is in Mexico, just the rich and the po- and the po- impoverished, you know. So to we- me, it's. Wouldn't we be smart if we just, I I think we should have borders. There's no question about that. But there are a lot of people, really good people south of the border. If we had a a viable work program, people could come in. They could come and go as they please. They would be registered. They pay taxes. If they wanted to become an American citizen, they'd go through the same thing anybody else goes through. I, I agree with that. I can say I actually agree with that. Um, let's get to the next question here, Doc. In Created Equal, you talk about some of the similarities between cancel culture and Jim Crow racism. I found this really interesting. Can you expound on that for us? As you know, yeah. many people are really struggling with threats of being canceled, fear of intimidation, loss of businesses and friends, and I'm being threatened with that every day on YouTube. Yeah. Um, so, Some of the media on the left... Uh, found that uh, a very intriguing uh, episode in the book. And they said, how could you possibly compare Jim Crow racism with cancel culture? Well, they're both designed for the same thing. And that is to set one group up as the right and the superior group and to suppress the ideals and the position of the other group. That's exactly what cancel culture does. And it is antithetical to the Judeo-Christian values uh, that were fundamental in founding this country. Judeo-Christian values say, love your neighbor, not cancel your neighbor, not hate your neighbor if they have a different yard sign. And uh, what that is doing is destroying our country. A house divided against itself cannot stand. And uh, if we don't get a grip on it pretty soon and recognize that we, the American people, are not each other's enemies. The enemies are those who are trying to divide us on the basis of race, income, religion, gender, age, you name it, they're trying to divide us. And we have to be smart enough to recognize what's going on. You believe this is a globalist uh, agenda? To take down America and bring in any new world order? Because that's the way, that's the only way. I, I believe that's part of it. And, you know, we should not be trying to be part of the world order. This is America. The world should be following us. We shouldn't be following them. I agree with you. We should be leading the charge. 
Absolutely. And I just don't see enough people coming out and speaking out. I just don't see, and that's why I guess that's why my channel is doing so well because I just kind of come out here and just like the way I box, <laughs> first yeah. round knockouts, baby. That's what I do. Well, um, you know, the, the nice thing is what happened in Virginia, you know, last November. A lot of parents are standing up now instead of just standing in the corner with their head down. They're actually getting in there and standing up because they realize that their children are being indoctrinated and that that ultimately will destroy the American way of life. You know, I saw that even as a kid when I was going to school. I mean, yeah, I wasn't a good kid. I was always, that wasn't a good kid. But uh, I'll <laughs> say that I saw the indoctrination happening. I'm like, I'm out of here. Um, <laughs> that's me, though. Um there's a section in your book where you re-educate or remind your reader about America's slave history, going all the way to Columbus, St. Augustine, 1619 Civil War, Emancipation Proclamation, Juneteenth, Segregation, the Civil Rights Movement, etc. It's a mini history lesson. Do you think it's helpful to look at the past to try to understand where, we, where we've come from? When yes. you look back, we see pretty horrific stuff, but you also say real progress has been made in America since then. Tell us more about that, Doc. Well, in fact, you know, there are those who try to make it seem like America is uniquely evil because we had slavery. But uh, a reading of history will tell you that virtually every society has had to deal with slavery at some point in time. And there are actually more slaves in the world today than there have ever been in the history of mankind. When you look at human trafficking and the major consumer, the number one consumer of it, United States of America. So we don't have to look back 200 years to find something horrible that was going on. There's horrible stuff going on right now that really requires our attention because there's so many lives that are being affected. But if there is something unique about America and slavery, it's that we had so many people who were vehemently opposed to it that we fought a bloody civil war and lost a large portion of our population to get rid of the evil institution. And that's what our kids need to know. Like now they're just trying to divide and conquer. They're keeping us distracted with BLM, CRT, LGBTQ. Right. Uh, what's your thoughts on those organizations? What's your thoughts on BLM? I know maybe that may be a touchy subject for you, but. No, it's not touchy at all. I mean, uh, these are people who are Marxist. And uh, their website clearly stated that before several of us got on national TV and pointed that out. And then they took it off their website. Um, no, they are not in any way. Uh, in line with traditional American values. And, uh, you know, the fact that so many corporations, you know, forked over money to them. And then what did they do with that money? Did they do anything to help those black Bought mansions? Exactly. <laughs> so that, that should tell you all you need to know. About in that. white neighborhoods. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then you think about, you think about the poor kids. You know, they're being fed all this stuff. And now they're being told, you may not actually be a girl or a boy. Right. I right. mean, this is child abuse as far as I'm concerned. Why are we doing this to our children? Why are we allowing it to be done? I think it's to weaken America. Yeah. To continue to weaken us. If you, can, if you can destroy the moral fabric of a society, you've gone a long way toward changing it. They've, they've already managed to take the father out of the household. I, I believe that. So I, I believe all this was engineered, Doc. The way I look, I'm looking at it, I'm, it's completely engineered. Well, I think you're right because, you know, when I came to Washington as the HUD secretary, 
I said, this will be a slam dunk. We can get all these people out of poverty. We can get them move in the right direction, self-sufficiency. The amount of resistance to that on Capitol Hill was ridiculous. Mm. They don't want people to be independent. <laughs> they don't want them. They want to be able to control them. Yeah, it's a slavery system. Yeah. Talk to me about white guilt and black victimhood. Well, uh, that that is the purpose of uh, a lot of what's going on uh, in the media today. The media doesn't realize that they're being used. You know, uh, Vladimir Lenin called them useful idiots. <laughs> yeah. They have no idea what they're doing. And if they really stopped and thought about it, what is the first thing that socialist and communist regimes do? They control the media. So they don't realize that they're preparing their own graveyard by getting involved and putting their, their finger on the scale. And, you know, the, the press was the only business that's protected by our Constitution. Why is that? because they're supposed to disseminate unbiased information to the people so that the country can be run on the will of the people. But when they put their finger on the scale, it distorts the whole system. And that's part of the reason we're having so much difficulty right now. It's not because the American people are stupid. It's because they're not being given the appropriate information. You know, with the uh, victimhood and the white guilt, what's your thoughts on reparations? Well, first of all, even if you believe in reparations, how would you do it? Wow. How, what would be the everyone's mixed now? You know, it's like <laughs> exactly. You know. And, and what about what about the families in in the South, which were the majority of them that didn't own slaves, because that was something only aristocrats could afford. What about the black slave owners? A lot of people don't mm. know black well, slave. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, well, I mean, I heard from Africa, even the, the, the kings or queens, whatever, sold the blacks to the whites anyway, right? Right. That's that's how they got them. You, you think the Portuguese would be able to go and run through the jungles of Africa and capture people? <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> Good point. I mean, seriously. So, they, yeah, they were. So, so there was black aristocrats that owned black slaves. Absolutely. And if you look at the Commonwealth of Virginia, you, you can actually find the documents. We quote them in, in the book. Uh, that said black and Indian slave owners were not allowed to own Christian slaves, which was their euphemism for white slaves. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Holy cow. <laughs> oh, man, you're teaching me something. All right, there's a large section of your book that addresses the 1619 Project and CRT. And we know this too, uh, has been a big conversation in many states as they're looking at school curriculum. And it's a pretty important topic to the MV, MFV community. You say, in no way am I advocating we gloss over the issue of slavery in our education institutions. It's a very important part of our history and its consequences are still being felt today. But then you go on to describe how CRT is divisive and hurting our schools. Can you share more about this? Yes. Uh, they basically have taken the history, rewritten it, distorted it in such a way as to present a completely different uh, view. And I think we can't just complain about that. We have to do something about it. So at the American Cornerstone Institute, which I now head up, we have something called the Little Patriots Program. And uh, it's a free online 
K through five teaching program, teaching American history, teaching our values, uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly, but in the proper perspective. And uh, we have books also. Our new book that just came out this month is called Red, White, and Blue. Our Flag Matters to Me and You teaches our kids to really respect and love the flag and what it represents. And uh, all the proceeds from that book, of course, go right back into the program because the program is absolutely free. We have underwriters and you just go to uh, littlepatriotslearning.com. It is absolutely spectacular, gaining by the droves. We had 23,000 signups just last week. And, uh, you know, being used in private schools, public schools, home schools, all kinds of schools. And uh, we just have to be very aggressive, recognizing that, like the Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, not depart from it. But the Marxists understood that, too. And that's why Lenin said, give me your children to teach for four years, and the seed that I sow will never be uprooted. I mean, what we're seeing now in school, I've always thought of it, they're indoctrination camps. You know, honestly, Ben, I, I don't even know if half the stuff I learned as a kid is even real anymore. I mean, seriously, I'm, I'm questioning NASA. That's how, that's how far I've gone off the deep end here. Um, you say in your book <laughs> that education is a great equalizer. Explain to me a little more about that. What is your advice to parents today on how we can help our children become better self-learners? How can we so- support and encourage curiosity, creativity, and critical thinking? Well, you need to, we need to make sure that our kids understand something that was so valuable to me as a youngster. When I was a terrible student, I used to listen to people who were saying how racist the system was and how you couldn't succeed. And you want to be a doctor, forget about it. That's not going to happen. And then I started reading all these books about incredible people, scientists and explorers and entrepreneurs. And I began to realize as I read all their stories that the person who has the most to do with what happens to you is you. It's not somebody else. <laughs> they can't control you unless yeah. you let them. Right. And, uh, you know, when you get a, a solid education in a country like ours, you get to write your own ticket. You get to decide which way you're going to go because people need you when you're valuable. When you're not valuable, not so much. You know, uh, you're going to be spending the, the rest of your life sort of dredging around and saying, can, can I do this? Can I do that? Uh, as opposed to being a valuable commodity that people need. But you get to determine how valuable you're going to be by how much effort you put into it. And the average person lives to be about 80 years old. The first 20 years or so you spend either preparing or not preparing. If you prepare, you have 60 years to reap the benefits. And if you don't, you have 60 years to suffer the consequences. Mm. You know, even for me, like I, I, I went a completely different path. I was raised middle class. You know, everyone thought, I'll go to college, you know, get a job. No, I'm going to be a boxer. (laughs) Don't don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. And I turned out to be the hell of a fighter. And I I won championship belts. And now look what I'm doing. I'm doing this. I think it's just important for people to follow the dreams, no matter how insane they seem. Follow your dreams. You know your own truth. Am I right in saying that? Yeah. Well, I I hope people know what kind of career you had. I mean, it was amazing. I think you were 36 and zero before the knifing episode. Yeah. I mean, you were probably on your way to become the heavyweight champion of the world. I I mean, that's pretty amazing. Not too many people get to do that. So To hear that from you, Dr. Carson, is big. So thank you. I, I appreciate that. Absolutely. 
It's because uh, you were born on September the 18th. Yeah. <laughs> and also <laughs> another fighter friend of mine, Austin Trout, who fought Canelo, who's a sta- stable mine, stable mate of mine, also September 18th. So is that right? Yeah, yeah. And the uh, and the cornerstone of the Capitol building in Washington, DC was laid on September the 18th. Really? And Lance <laughs> Armstrong, I think, is uh, September 18th, the Tour de France. <laughs> I don't know. My page is, I, that's, I, when I saw that right now, I was like, all right. Um, how do you think media and big tech have impacted our national conversation and heightened tensions about race in America today? And it's, it's been ridiculous what they've done. And, you know, aligning themselves with a particular ideology as opposed to uh, investigative truth has resulted in them being not respected anymore i think uh people trust them about as much as they do a used car salesman anymore and uh, it's really bad and a lot of times when i see young journalists now you know i talk to them about the history of journalism and how important it was in the development of our country and uh, and where it's declined to and i said maybe you can be on the front wave of a new breed of journalists who are honest and who care about the affairs of the people. You know, I, I, I see it all over now on the mainstream media. I tell you, the news anchors, they're just reading a script. And it's, it's, a, it's an obvious agenda to me, an engineered agenda. I don't know why people cannot see this. And they say being the attacked. This is, go ahead. They say the same words. The same for, Within minutes of something happening, they're all saying exactly the same thing. The same thing. Being, it's all being trickled down to them. And it's just it's just repeated. And I mean, I don't know. I think there should be more independent journalism like what I'm doing. Who would have thought a boxer goes in and is doing this now? I don't, <laughs> I don't know how I'm doing this, Doc. I don't know how. This is not something I set out to do. And look I'm interview. Doing Thanks for doing it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's not enough. There's not. I have a backbone and that's what it takes now. Yeah. Being a fighter, I guess. Why did you create? Why did you write the book Created Equal? What was the heart behind it? And what do you hope to accomplish with this book? What's your hopes of this book? I really want to wake people up. And I want the American people to, to recognize what, what are the facts? Not what is being purported to be the facts, but what are the real facts? You look at, for instance, the George Floyd incident. It was played 24-7 incessantly. It would make you think that Black men who are unarmed are being killed by police all the time. That's what you would think. Right. I was talking to some friends of mine in Australia. They said, it's played over here 24-7. You, you think every, they're just killing black men on the street. What is the actual number? And I lay all this out in the book. Even the Washington Post, I use their number. Less than two dozen black men per year. And there's more than 50 million police civilian encounters. So any number is too many, but you know, the fact of the matter, it shows you that that is really distorted. And the George Floyd incident, that's way off on the distal end of the bell curve in terms of police activity. Uh, th- th- that's very rare. There was another case just like it, though. And I talk about that in the book where uh, same situation, knee on the neck, face on the ground, saying I'm going to die. And he did die. Mm. But it was a white man. So who cares? I guess no attention. It didn't, it didn't fit the narrative. They don't care one bit about that. What's your thoughts on the on the? So, on the, so the answer to your question, 
my hope is that the American people can realize that we have a choice in terms of how we want to build our future. Do we want to build our future on the negative aspects of our past or on the tremendous victories that we've had? And is uh, my last question, Doc. I have one last question. Will we see you run again? Will any chance of that? Could you get on a <laughs> ticket with Trump? Maybe. Come on. Well, we now, do I, stay, I, listen. We, I, I would. That's my dream ticket. You and Trump we, together. We do stay in communication with each other. Um, I don't want to, oh, quite on. frankly. But I will always do what the Lord wants me to do. I just hope that's not it. <laughs> well i hope it is <laughs> doc thank you for coming on i i won't take any more of your time you've been your blessing uh once again folks it's created equal the book is created equal. where can people get it doc they can get it virtually anywhere airport stores uh, hudson uh, barnes and noble costco walmart all over the place thank you doctor anytime you want and, to come on the show, go ahead and you can also go to american cornerstone org and find out where to get the books but also about a plethora of other programs designed to help people be better citizens well you're a blessing sir thank you so much for coming on it's an honor to have you and uh please run <laughs> please all right well thank you for being a patriot Keep god bless you sir take care